So this is obviously a very special and unusual day in the life of our church. It has been, what, three months, I believe, since we gathered here in person as a congregation. So this is uh, somewhat of a homecoming day. And yet, still, it is not really normal because we're only partially here. Really, the majority of our family is gathered uh, throughout the the community at home and wherever they are able to watch this broadcast. So it's, it's a day that's in a way bittersweet. Uh, we're, we are back here, some of us, but not all of us. And uh, we know that uh, the future is uncertain and we'll be monitoring uh, events day by day and week by week as we go forward to uh, be able to continue the ministries of our church in a, in a safe way. This is also a special day because of what Brianna just mentioned. It's Confirmation Sunday. 17 confirmands in the class this year. uh, And uh, how exciting uh, this is. Uh, And uh, normally we would all gather in Kissling, and there would maybe be a breakfast or a lunch. We're obviously doing it different. Uh, But we will be hearing uh, their faith statements and affirming them in Confirmation The church affirms the gift of the Spirit, the endowment of the Spirit on these people. Uh, What was promised in baptism now confirmed by the church. And maybe that's not necessary. I mean, maybe you already know that. Uh, It's pretty obvious, and yet it's important that you receive this affirmation and that we do it with each other. And uh, so... Uh, As we listen to the first reading of Scripture today, it is a faith affirmation statement by a young person, David. And, uh, you know, David was called into a position of leadership at a very young age. And this is one of his prayers. It's Psalm 27 as we know it. But it really reads as an affirmation of faith. And here here it is. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When evildoers assail me or an army and camp all around me, yet will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in God's temple. For God will hide me in his shelter in the days of trouble. God will conceal me under the cover of his tent and set me high on a rock. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The second reading today, the New Testament lesson, comes to us uh, from the book of Acts. As we progress through the season after Pentecost, often we are led through the the work of the infant church in the book of Acts. And so today we hear the story of Peter and John in Jerusalem. You know, the infant church 
really still identified themselves as Jewish and they wanted to go and worship at the temple when they were in Jerusalem. And so here they are on the way. A cool little story that happens. Let us listen for God's word from Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for charity from those who entered the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for money. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately he got to his feet, and his ankles were made strong, and he jumped up, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and beg. And so they said they were filled with amazement and wonder at the wonderful thing that had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to come down here to uh, finish this morning. I kind of like being out here closer to you all, uh, and uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity that we have to be together this morning. You know, confirmation this year has been kind of a struggle. It's been unique, as has everything else. Uh, Chris Wren and Diane Tuttle have done a marvelous job, along with Brianna, of leading this large class of young people uh, through this process we call confirmation. You know, this is, I think, my ninth anniversary of being here at this church with you. So uh, uh, these kids were in preschool when I came, and I've seen them, we have all seen them uh, grow up in our midst. What a privilege, what a joy it is to see them grow. And now here they are in what we call adolescence, which in our culture seems to extend for, I don't know, 20 years or something. Uh, it, we, it's, it's very different. Every person's a little different, but, but it's a long journey to adulthood. And this is certainly not the final step. Uh, we, we know confirmands that uh, whatever you're experiencing now, however you see the world, what's important to you now, how you understand religion or God, uh, is probably not where you will be even just a couple of years from now. We hope not. We hope you keep growing. And, but yet today is a day of affirmation. You will affirm where you are now, how you see things now, what you think is important now. And we will affirm you. We will 
uh, affirm God's blessing upon you. You, in a sense, in a very real way, are our hope for the future of the church. It is as if you are our great-grandchildren, and we uh, have so much uh, hope for you for the future. And as you stand and make your faith statements today, uh, and I've read over the written statements that you've made, and of course, uh, the question that would come to our minds for you, but but your question for us, it's, it's the question all of us must answer, which is, how do we know that a faith statement is authentic? It's pretty easy to write something down or to say, I believe this or that, but how do we know? Many of you have said in your faith statements, the way we know is by how we live. By how we live, we will know if our faith is authentic. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers. But there has to be some kind of genuine trust. Uh, it has been said a person is a Christian, in, a person is a Christian in whom Christ is seen to live. And so, authentic faith somehow gives evidence is visible, even if it isn't all worked out. But let's be honest, this is such a tough time to make affirmations of faith. I mean, people are struggling in so many ways. We have been in a struggle and still are. We know that people are struggling with serious fears about health and health care. People are struggling with deep sense of isolation and disconnection. Maybe that's part of the reason why it was important for some of you to be here today. We know that many uh, have, are continuing to struggle economically. They've lost their jobs and their businesses. They're just trying to endure going through this time. And on top of that, we're being faced with this heightened awareness of the long history of racial injustice in our nation. You know, early on, I think we all were reminded of how this pandemic has shown how interconnected we all are. And yet we know that some are more deeply and uh, more uh, negatively affected by these struggles than others. But we're all going through week after week of disequilibrium, uncertainty. And it takes our mind off even the great international struggles that others have. And I have to tell you, it's sometimes hard for this person to see how it's all going to work out. I don't know what to hope for or how much to hope for. And so, I hate to say it, but it seems to me, maybe I'm dead wrong, but it seems to me that we will never return to the way things used to be. We never will go back to the way things used to be. Now that's a hard thing to accept. 
I want to get back to normal now. Don't you? Don't you just want to do away with all these bottles of hand sanitizer and, and masks and just get back to normal now? I, I want all these threats to go away. I want all these difficult questions and decisions to go away and the tensions to subside. And I guess I would say there's a symbol for how I feel. And I'm just speaking now personally for myself. And I don't mean this as a political symbol. I mean it as a spiritual or even theological symbol. It's this. I resist this. I don't want to wear this, and I don't want somebody to tell me to wear this. And I don't want somebody to tell me where I can walk in and where I can go out and what I have to do and sign up first. And I'm tired of all these rules. I, I want to be able to just go back to normal. And so I would call this resistance... It's, it's a sense that I am not in control of what is evolving, and so I don't want a new normal. I want the old normal. And I don't want somebody to challenge my comfortable status in society. I don't want you to question my language or my music or my symbols or my version of history. I... I, I I just want to go back to a little bit easier time. And so, in resisting, I have a hard time hoping. Like, I look at the way things are going, and I don't see anybody who has a quick fix. I mean, Mayor Curry can't fix it. The NAACP can't fix it. The CDC can't fix it. Law enforcement can't fix it. Even God doesn't seem to be here fixing it. And and then I read this prayer from a young man, a shepherd, who talks about, in a very honest way, how he meets the struggles of his life. He, he affirms his faith in a remarkably mature way. And I think if we're privileged to read or hear the faith statements that, we'll, that we will hear and see today, you will see some uh, amazing maturity from our, our young people. But David, David doesn't act as if he's got it all together and he's got all the answers. He admits his struggles. He admits that he's surrounded by threats that he doesn't have it all together, and yet he has seen God's help in ages past, and so he has hope for years to come. The prayer asks just for one thing. One thing David asks for in his prayer, and it's not for everything to go back to normal. He asks to behold the beauty of the Lord, Maybe it is that to maintain hope in such times, we need to see a little beauty. 
especially the beauty of God. He uses the word behold, or at least that's the translation that's often used. It's not a common word. I bet none of you confirmands go around saying, oh, behold the motorcycle going by. You don't, you don't use behold. But in the Bible, every time that word is used, it is an invitation to pay close attention, even to squint if necessary, to see what is usually missed. Thomas Merton uh, was a monk, and he had a number of uh, wonderful writings, and here is one little thing he said. He said, life is simple. We live in a world that is absolutely transparent. God shows God's self everywhere, in everything, in people and in things, in nature and in events. It becomes very obvious that God is everywhere and in everything, and we cannot be without God. It is impossible The only thing is, we don't see it. Today, I'm so glad that we are gathered in the beauty of this sanctuary. I know it's been important for some of you to be back here in this space. Some of you have been able to do this on the Wednesdays during our prayer time. But for many of you, it's the first time in quite a long time. The beauty of this place, the, the sheer size of it, the, the architecture that leads our eyes upward as if to heaven, the, the beautiful windows and the stories that they tell, and I bet most of us can't even really make out what those stories are. You need the, the book that the church has to explain them to you. But even in our ignorance, they're moving, and you can see some of the stories of the Bible. Maybe some of you confirmands could remember an image in one of these windows. And not only that, but the music, the sound of the organ in this space, the ritual, the singing, all of this is part of the beauty. And most importantly, the memories, the history, The fact that so many of you were baptized here, or your children were. Weddings and funerals, Christmas Eve services, Good Friday and Easter. So many memories that make this place a beautiful place. And I hope that you can find strength in the beauty of this place. That you will know that even though there are adversaries all around us, that the beauty of this sanctuary can bring renewal. Maybe just a few moments of peace. Maybe we can be reminded by the time we leave here that as Colossians says, Christ holds all things together. And so that no matter what presses us toward division or autonomy or individualism or discord, we are all bounded together by the gentle yet enduring love of Christ. If we could leave with that sense of beauty, boy, what a gift. 
But what about those who aren't here? And what about all the rest of our lives when we aren't here? There was a, a great church leader a long time ago named Philo of Alexander, and he said, you need to be kind as you walk around because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. That is so true these days, isn't it? As Peter and John were walking along and going through a place called the Beautiful Gate, they encountered a man who was fighting a great battle. He was born with something that he didn't ask for, he didn't cause. His circumstances were widely seen to be uh, the result of a moral defect or of God's disapproval. He couldn't walk. And the safety net that they had at that time was, well, some people would come along and carry him from where he was to the gate so that other people might give him some spare change. That was it. That was his, his day. That was his hope. And then Peter and John come along and they look at him and he thinks he's going to get a couple, couple bills and, and they say, sorry, I don't, we don't have any money. Ugh. You ever said that to somebody? I, I'm sorry, I don't have any money. And then he said, and then they said, Peter said, hey, get up. And they took him and they entered that beautiful gate into the temple together, laughing and jumping and dancing in the beauty of that moment, that encounter. I think all of us have beautiful gates through which we can enter into the praise of God, a gateway into hope and confidence in God's love. All of us have beautiful gates somewhere, maybe in nature, maybe in art, in music, maybe uh, in worship, or in other ways. A long time ago, George Eliot wrote a book called uh, Adam Bede, in which there were two, these two characters, kind of different characters. There was Dinah Morris and, and Hetty Sorrell. And Dinah was a person who gave her life to the poor, worked in a, in a food kitchen in the daytime, and at night she would go home, and she'd go up to her bedroom, and she'd fling open the windows, and she'd look out at the countryside and just be renewed by the beauty of what she saw. She, all, everything she saw, she was always looking outward, self-transcendent. Hetty Sorrell, on the other hand, was, had physical beauty, but spent her days looking basically at a mirror, looking at herself, thinking about herself, self-centered, and, and, the, and the, you would say the moral of the story for George Eliot was that there is this link between where we find beauty and our capacity to hope or love. When I was uh, in Young Life a long time ago, uh, the founder of Young Life was a guy named Jim Rayburn, and one of the things he would love to do is take kids on long hikes up high in the Rocky Mountains. And I heard him say this on, on, a, on a tape. 
uh, he was asked, somebody asked him about the little tiny flowers that grow way up above 10,000 feet. If you've ever climbed way that high and you've seen the, how the vegetation changes and, and the animal life changes, and there are these tiny little flowers that grow seemingly right out of the rocks. And somebody asked him, why? Why do you think God put the flowers way up there on top of the mountains? Those tiny little flowers growing in such an inhospitable environment. And he said, you know, I think they're there to encourage the people that are trying to get upward but who are so tired they can't lift their heads anymore. The beauty of the Lord is here for us to see. And perhaps it can encourage us and give us hope. Jesus instructed the church by saying, if you want to see the face of God, you want to see the face of God in the world, you want to see God around you, Look at the the lame and the naked and the hungry and the person that's in jail and the stranger. You'll see the face of Christ in those folk. Yes, there's beauty in those folk. So today this preacher is looking for beauty and I see it today even partially covered by your masks. But as we go from here this week, I invite you to look for beauty, God's beauty around you. Behold the beauty of the Lord in the world and in humanity. And let that beauty give you confidence and endurance to keep on the right track. In essence, to give you hope that God will be with us through this all. Amen.